Hi everyone and welcome to our latest Risk and Regulation Rundown podcast. I'm Andrew Strange, your regular host, but for this episode I'm stepping back from my hosting responsibilities and instead passing on the baton to my colleague Tessa Norman. Thanks Andrew. Yes, I think given your interest and expertise in today's topic, it definitely makes sense for you to be sitting on the other side of the virtual table for this discussion. So I'll be guiding our listeners through this episode. As usual, we are recording remotely, so please note that this might impact our sound quality. So in today's episode, we're discussing the UK regulatory regime, covering both the new consumer duty proposals from the FCA, as well as the wider changing approach to UK regulation and supervision that we're seeing in a post-Brexit world. And as well as Andrew, I'm joined by Conor McManus, a director in our financial services regulatory insights team, and also a former guest of the podcast. So, Andrew, let's um, kick off with the consumer duty proposals. Could you give us a brief overview of, of what the FCA has proposed in its consultation paper? Yes, of course. Thanks, Tessa. So this was a, a fairly long awaited paper. Some people may remember the discussion paper, which was published in 2018. Uh, and at that stage, the regulator was looking at a, a range of potential uh, options from uh, one extreme, uh, a formal duty in some way enshrined in primary legislation through to the other extreme, maybe just saying that the existing treating customers fairly principle uh, is enough. Where, where the FCA has landed in its consultation paper from the 14th of May is the proposal of a, a new principle, so a formal principle, with subsequent underlying, and to quote the FCA, a suite of rules and guidance to, to, to underpin it. Now, at this stage, they're not putting out details of what the rules or, or guidance could look like, but they have proposed two potential definitions for this new principle. One is to act to deliver good outcomes for a customer. The other is to act in the best interests of a customer. Uh, and it's a debate we've had a lot internally about the relative uh, uh, weight or significance of those two other terms. If you think about perhaps a practical example, so something like a mortgage, I think it's interesting. If you sell someone a mortgage and then they subsequently end up in arrears, have you delivered good outcomes for that particular client? Or is this a, 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 an outcome that, that to the wider level of cohort of clients? Equally, if you've got a, a not terribly competitive five-year fixed-rate mortgage, um, are you acting in the best interests of a client if you sell them that mortgage as opposed to actually making them aware that they might get a better deal on the open market elsewhere? So I think there's some interesting nuance and a lot of debate to be had around both what those potential definitions mean and then which one the regulator ends up with. And I should also say a lot of this is clearly very complementary to existing work that, that a lot of firms are engaged with at the moment around things like vulnerable customers, where the vulnerable customers guidance producing a very similar focus on outcomes which the regulator is trying to achieve through this consumer duty too. Thank you. You're right. I think um, the, the potential implications of those two different versions of that definition um, is going to be really interesting. I mean, I think my view is that, that they're perhaps both a little bit too ambiguous and they could be... Um, potential for, for unintended consequences. So it'd be interesting to see where the FCA lands on that definition. Um, and so what is the application of the proposed rules? How broad or narrow are they in scope? I, I would argue they're very broad, and I think they're broad uh, actually with three different lenses that you can apply to it. Firstly, in terms of the, of the, the end clients that could be benefiting from this or caught by this, uh, you know, the regulator is talking about retail clients, but actually within that, it's including small and medium-sized enterprises for, for regulated activity as well. So actually, it's potentially quite a large cohort of people. Uh, it might be easier to think about it as uh, in terms of what it's not. So it's not kind of wholesale market participants, but it, it is pretty much everybody else. 
Secondly, I think it's worth thinking about where this hits the value chain for any particular given product. So it's not just about the person who has the interaction with the client at point of sale or, or um, uh, in a call center. Uh, it applies to everybody, including those people that manufacture product. Even if you, uh, you know, distribute through intermediaries and you don't have any direct involvement with clients, you're still very clearly caught by these proposed rules. Uh, I think that's interesting. If you look at the, the FCA's recent work on, on the product rules, the MIFID 2, uh, where they did some thematic work um, earlier in 2021, uh, you know, a lot of firms really struggled when their end customer was just a a nominee name or a nominee number uh, on a platform but actually there was an obligation in that scenario for them to be thinking about target audience and ensure that their products ended up with the right target audience well this is exactly the same issue here around actually understanding uh, who your end consumer is and therefore how you can discharge your duty and then the final lens that I think also makes this really broad is around the way the regulator wants this to, to interact in a business environment so the FCA is talking about four key outcomes they're thinking about, and it's not just that front-end client interaction piece. So they pull out communications, they're talking about products and services, so the design element, they're talking about customer service, they're also talking about price and value. So there's kind of four key areas there that the regulator wants firms to think about. If we take just one of those as an example so if we take value then you know any firm that's active in the, the general insurance market will have focused on value a lot over the last couple of years any asset management business has done a lot of work around value in the last couple of years and um, you know, my own experience working with asset managers is that that value uh, assessment has been a real challenge for them thinking about actually what is value are we delivering value what does value mean to our end customers you know how do we evidence this um, you know where can we ensure better outcomes are we being challenging enough what's the role of our non-executives you know if you think about that level of work around value and then extrapolate that out over the four key outcomes the regulator wants to look at uh, i think it, it really is quite a, a broad set of proposals yeah, I would definitely agree with you there. And, you know, in, in the FCA's own words, it, it describes the proposals as a paradigm shift in the way that it, that, that, that it regulates firms. So in what way is this going to kind of feel different for firms? Well, again, I do love three. So I think there are three ways of looking at this as well. So, I mean, firstly, on a theoretical level, uh, this potentially has a, an impact on business models. So anybody whose business model uh, is partially based on things like back books or um, trail income or consumer inertia, I think is gonna find elements of this quite challenging. Equally, by the same token, anybody who um, goes out there to try and target subsectors which are hyper profitable um, or using technology to, to access particularly niche parts of a market where they can create um, uh, uh, um, profits as well, I think is going to struggle with some of the value elements of it potentially. I think practically, uh, it's going to probably change the way people have to think about things within the business so i think there's going to be a greater emphasis on getting things right first time this isn't so much about fixing stuff when it goes wrong you know compensation complaints handling the ombudsman service it's about getting it right up front and that upfront bit really does start with the product design elements of this uh, and then finally uh, i think it's about evidence so you know, previous initiatives we've seen around things like treating customers fairly were done at a time when we didn't have a senior manager regime and there weren't you know, senior individuals personally accountable for delivering these things. So I think in a business level, your senior managers are going to be very keen to make sure they have the right elements, uh, evidence. And equally from a regulatory perspective, you know, the regulator is very focused on data. You know, the challenge from supervisors is going to come 
based on the evidence and the reporting that you do to the regulator. Uh, I think it's going to be really important that you have a, a clear narrative from the regulator about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Uh, and certainly, we've, uh, if I look at work we've done on things like vulnerable customers, I think that some of the firms have found that quite difficult. Monitoring outcomes isn't necessarily uh, uh, something that, that inherently is easy to do. Uh, so to have the right technology to support that monitoring uh, and also to be able to uh, address things to meet the FTA's uh, expectations has been quite tough. Yes, I definitely agree with you there around some of the challenges that that, that we're seeing firms experience in the vulnerable customer space around um, data and, and monitoring outcomes. So a lot of firms are starting that work already um, to, in order to comply with that vulnerable customer's guidance, which will um, you know, put them in a, a good kind of starting point for these potential proposals on consumer duty. But I think a lot of them do have quite a bit more work to do. Um, and this feels like a, a good point to bring you into the discussion, Connor. That focus on outcomes um, seems like something that we're increasingly seeing from the FCA in other areas and um, not just in vulnerable customers. Is that part of a broader shift in regulatory direction towards an outcomes-based approach? And if so, what does that mean for firms? Thanks, Tessa. Uh, I, I think so. I mean, that certainly seems to be the direction of travel, uh, the regulators. We've had uh, speeches from senior officials at the FCA, but also the PRA in, in recent months, talking about this concept of moving to a more outcomes or principles-based approach to regulation. And, and I think the sense is that um, outside of the EU, the UK doesn't need to replicate the very granular rules-based approach to regulation, which characterizes the EU's framework, because that was designed in the EU context to drive uh, harmonization across multiple member states. So the focus being more around the regulators see setting a, an objective that they want firms to, to meet, but providing more flexibility in terms of how firms actually meet that objective in a way which makes sense for them as, as, as a business. I mean, this isn't a new concept. Um, you know, this is something that the FSA was, was talking about a lot. Uh, prior to, to the financial crisis and we've seen you know we've seen a couple of examples of this already recently so the vulnerable customers agenda that we've talked about the consumer duty but also I think a good example being operational resilience where you know, the regulators are saying operational resilience is an objective that we want you to to meet how you do it will depend on your business model and your on your operating model uh, so I think we're going to see more of this I mean, in terms of the implications for clients, you know, clearly there can be some benefits in terms of stripping out you know, huge amounts of rules that firms need to comply with from a, from a compliance perspective. And it also allows firms to embrace things and deliver them in a way which makes sense for them um, as a business. I think the challenge will come around the amount of judgment that it will require firms to make around what that objective actually means in, in practice. And I think firms, if you know, if, if the regulators do move in this direction, I think firms will need to start getting used to a lot more ambiguity and judgment in the way in which they think about compliance and, and regulation more generally. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that, that greater flexibility, I'm sure, is something that, that a lot of firms would welcome. But but also, um, you know, there's some kind of comfort and safety in, in, in having those detailed rules to, to, to kind of fall back on and, and make interpretation um, less ambiguous.
So what does this all mean for detailed rules then? Are they going to kind of gradually be phased out and, and become a thing of the past or will they still be in place for certain areas? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, um, you know, there will always be a regulatory rule book and, and parts of it will all, always be detailed. I think, you know, if you think about, for example, prudential regulation, there's a lot of detail in there um, and, and, and necessary detail in terms of things like calculating capital requirements. And, I, you know, I don't think we're, we're going to move away from that to a world where, you know, the regulators just say, you know, hold enough capital and that's an outcome which we'll, we'll be happy with. But in other areas, you know, operational resilience, as I mentioned, consumer outcome focused regulation, it lends itself more to a kind of outcomes based approach. And I think we'll start to see the shift happen in, in those areas more. Yeah. Andrew, what's your view on that? Would you agree? I would slightly disagree with Connor. Uh, and I, one of the challenges I put forward is we've seen lots of new initiatives. Uh, I've not seen any kind of rule books being burnt uh, or any of that granularity particularly disappearing as yet. So I think my, my personal worry is always you end up with the awkward combination of both granular rules and sort of thematic type outcomes based um, regulation too. Now, I'm quite keen on the intellectual argument that some of these themes could replace rules. Um, I, I can see it's risky, but you know, if you're thinking about a business that is operationally resilient so if it falls so it doesn't fall over and if it does fall over it can stand up again if you're thinking about a business that's got enough money to make sure that if anything goes wrong it can cover its costs or it can wind down if you've got a business that's, that's dealing with financial crime and, and money laundering issues if it's delivering value to its customers uh, and it's working in their best interests under a consumer duty and this is all underpinned by data then what can actually go wrong here uh, you know intellectually that doesn't you know, i don't see where there's the potential harm for, for consumers on the whole uh, and you haven't had to have the granular rules to get there i'd also draw on the fact that if you look at things like the the fca's recent work around uh, general insurance pricing where actually now firms uh, who are going through the renewal process can't be charging uh, more or less the, the, the new customers. Again, we seem to be removing quite substantial risks to, to the outcomes for consumers here. So I'm beginning to think, well, actually, maybe some of these themes and pillars could replace some of the rules that we, we, we've been used to. Yeah, it would be an interesting one to, to see how that evolves. And I can imagine it de definitely will be a, an evolving picture and we're not going to move away from, from detailed rules anytime soon. Um, speaking of kind of evolving pictures, another area that I wanted to get your thoughts on, Connor, is divergence. So clearly as the UK continues to shape its own regulatory framework and potentially moves away from e-regulation in certain areas. And um, that can mean that firms with footprints beyond the UK are having to comply with multiple different regimes. And that's something that we've talked about on this podcast in relation um, to a number of topics, um, including things like operational resilience and ESG recently. So how are we seeing that divergence play out and, and impact firms? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing to say is, you know, obviously it's quite quite early days in that the UK has only been uh, out of the EU's regulatory frameworks for, for six months. But, you know, for a number of years now, um, the government and the regulators have been, have been saying that post-Brexit, the UK will do things differently from a financial services uh, regulatory perspective, not for the sake of doing things differently, um, but to try and adapt to the regulatory framework to the specificities of the UK market or to encourage competitiveness um, of the UK. And we're starting to see early signs of how that's going to play out. And so this year we've had proposals from the PRA and the FCA on prudential requirements for, for banks and investment firms. 
which largely mirror the EU's versions, but have made some changes. And in fact, in a number of areas are, are, are stricter than the EU equivalent. Um, the Treasury is, is currently reviewing the Solvency II framework and you know, both the Treasury and the PRA have been clear that they, they do want to make amendments to that. And we've also had the, the proposals from the Lord Hill review into the UK's listings regime, which makes some uh, recommendations for quite a fundamental overhaul um, of the prospectus regulation that, that the UK onshored fr from the EU. And I think that capital market space is where we're going to perhaps see the most uh, focus um, from, from Treasury and, and the regulators. So we know that the Treasury and the FCA are undertaking a wholesale markets uh, review, um, really looking at in particular method and asking the question, what needs to change in a UK specific context? What could we, what, you know, what could we improve? Um, you know, with a real focus on, on competitiveness, I think. And we're expecting a consultation on that um, over the summer and, and potentially quite soon. So we are starting to see some, some areas of difference between the UK and, and the EU, as, as you would expect. Um, I mean, for, for firms, um, you know, clearly there can be benefits from this. Making changes to regulation, if it's disproportionate, uh, very you know, inefficient or costly, it, it is a good thing. But that needs to really be balanced against the costs of fragmentation between the UK and, and the EU. And many firms have been used to doing compliance or regulatory horizon scanning at an EMEA or EU level. You know, and clearly, as, as the frameworks uh, diverge, that becomes more challenging. Um, and we're already starting to see that, uh, that you know, impact clients. So I think for UK policymakers, there's a, there's a difficult decision to make and balance the strike between the benefits of making changes where they're necessary to improve competitiveness or you know, improve outcomes with the cost associated with, with fragmentation between the UK and the EU. And, and, and in addition to those challenges, it also feels like the scope, the scope and breadth of regulatory focus is continuing to increase. What challenges do, does that bring for both regulators and for firms? Yeah, I think that's something that we've, we've seen uh, increasingly over the past few years. I mean, if I think back to when I started my career in financial services regulation, you know, just after the, the financial crisis, the regulatory focus was, was much narrower then, and you know, perhaps understandably in the context because the focus was on ensuring the banking sector didn't fall over. Uh, but even when I uh, left the PRA you know, around five years ago, things which are very central to regulatory focus at the moment would have been you know, seen as relatively peripheral if you're thinking about you know, traditional prudential or conduct regulation. You know, I'm thinking about things like diversity and inclusion, climate change, ESG, the implications of, of technology change, they're you know, extremely central to the regulatory focus at the moment, but perhaps weren't four or five years ago. Um, and then I think you know, this broadening focus has, has benefits. You know, many firms are you know, saying that they want more clarity around the regulatory approach to technology, things like AI, machine learning, uh, before they, they adopt them. So that regulatory focus is, is very welcome, as it is in areas such as climate change and diversity and inclusion. But, you know, that broadening focus just brings challenges for firms. There's just a lot going on at, um, at the moment, a lot to keep on top of. You know, I think this is reflected in the, the regulatory initiatives grid, which the regulators publish every six months. Uh, the latest iteration of that came out in, in May, and I think it runs to around 
40 pages now. I think there were something like 38 additional items added to the grid from, from the, the previous publication in, in September last year. It just shows the scale of activity at the regulators at the moment and the breadth of that focus, which you know will, will certainly bring challenges. Thanks, Connor. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you say, just kind of keeping on top of that horizon scanning, keeping on top of the regulatory agenda it is a challenge um, for firms in itself and um, on top of um, a lot of the other issues that, that we've covered today. Um, so to finish with, I wanted to ask you both for a final um, kind of takeaway message for our listeners. So what's the one area that you really encourage firms to, to focus on and, and to try and address in order to meet the regulators' evolving expectations? Andrew, I'll come to you first. Well, I'm hoping that as I'm a guest, not the host, I can have three things rather than one. So um, first one for me is around clarity and confidence of purpose for firms. So um, being able to articulate how you're delivering value, the good you're doing on a societal basis and so on is really important. And having that clarity of purpose and a really consistent message across all of your business, be that somebody who's working in the front line in the call centre, through to a non-executive director, through to your board, I think is going to be really important. Important in, in how you demonstrate what you're doing, explain it to the regulators uh, and put out your vision to your consumers. Uh, secondly, I would say this, wouldn't I, but uh, you know, engage in the consumer duty proposals. The, the, the regulator is opening is open for comments until the end of July, so firms have got about a month or so to respond to that. Um, and clearly, I think as, as we've discussed today, some of the definitions are have potential pitfalls. Some of them are um, not entirely clear how they will work. It's really important that firms think about that on, on a business level themselves uh, and engage in that process because this is going to drive a lot of the regulatory agenda going forward. Uh, and finally, I would say, I think it, it's time to think about pivoting to a new language. So for firms to be thinking about consumer outcomes and harms and things, it, it is the way the regulator is going and actually bringing yourselves into that world and thinking about things in, in the regulators new terminology and new approach to life I think it's going to be really important to make sure that, that your interactions with the regulator work. Thank you and Connor what are your thoughts? Well I would definitely echo that point on, on purpose I think you know the role that financial services plays in the economy and the wider society is something which will increasingly drive the regulatory focus in in a post-COVID uh, environment, I think. So it's, it's a, a really important thing to focus on. I mean, the, other, the only other thing I would draw out is data capabilities and how important it is for firms to get these right. This has clearly always been the case when thinking about compliance and, and meeting regulatory expectations. But if you think about things like um, vulnerable customers uh, or the consumer duty, which really require firms to understand their customers and their behavior uh, very well, that really requires an investment in, in data capabilities. And you know, this is something that the regulators um, are very focused on at the moment. You know, as Andrew mentioned, the FCA is, is, is very focused on becoming a much more data-led regulator. Uh, and the, the Bank of England is, has published recently a quite ambitious data strategy, really focusing on driving transformation of data capabilities across the financial sector over the next five to 10 years. So this is going to be absolutely vital and integral to, to the regulatory agenda um, in the medium term. 
Thanks, Connor. Yeah, that data challenge is definitely something that we've um, discussed on the podcast before. Just the, the last episode on, on ESG, we talked about that and, and how critical um, data really is to, to firms getting their approaches right. Um, so thank you both for a really interesting conversation. You know, it feels like we're kind of seeing the, the next stage of, in the um, evolution of the FCA's consumer approach. Um, as you've talked about, Andrew, in really wide-ranging impacts, including on, on things like firm business models um, and touching on things like purpose, culture, accountability. Um, and then it's been fascinating to hear as well about how that fits into the broader picture um, from Connor. So that kind of gradual move towards a more principles and a more outcomes based approach and, and seeing how, um, how the UK's uh, framework is really starting to kind of emerge and, and evolve um, outside of the EU. Um, to our listeners, I really hope you've enjoyed this conversation as well. And um, please subscribe to future episodes and don't forget to rate and review this series as it helps other people to find us. And please look out for our next episode next month.